You're listening to the Frequently Asked Questions, Biblical Answers to Hard Questions series, taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, well, thank you all for being here today. I appreciate, and I don't say this every week, but I do really appreciate that you come out, you take time on Sunday morning, get up a little bit earlier, um, come into church, and, and hopefully this is helpful for all of us. Hopefully as we go through the Word of God and we ask some questions of the Word of God, um, questions that I believe are very relevant, important to us, um, that we're learning things together. And I, I hope that it's helpful, but I, I do really appreciate your support and, and coming out every week. Uh, this week I chose a question that is more doctrinal than immediately practical. We're talking about, can Christians lose their salvation? Now, I, I firmly believe that every question that is doctrinal is ultimately practical. Okay, eventually your orthodoxy has to affect your orthopraxy. What you believe has to affect how you live. And so all of these things ultimately are practical, but this is kind of a doctrinal, polemical issue that the church has dealt with for, well, 2,000 years now. It's a question that had been asked for a, a very long time, and I don't assume that after today's lesson, all of the world, the, the church's problems will be answered but it's one of those questions that I think all Christians have dealt with at some point in, in your life as a believer. It's something that you've come across. There are many verses you've come across that you might have said, oh, I, I, that doesn't fit with what I've been taught or what I believe, and I don't know what to do with that verse. And so what I hope to do this morning is just, first of all, give a foundation that we answer this question from, and then we'll look at some verses that support my position. My position is that you cannot lose your salvation, that Christians are eternally secure. And so hopefully we'll give some verses that will support that position. And then we'll, we'll conclude by looking at just a few of those verses that are often troubling for us as believers that, that do believe in eternal security. And so that's the plan today. I believe this question is incredibly important, first of all, because I believe the right answer to this question will help us to not live a life of fear, of guilt, and of defeat. When you know you're eternally secure, you are not always just terrified all the time of this idea that you might lose your salvation. And, and if you do something where you believe you might have lost your salvation, then you're not living a life of complete guilt or defeat. You understand that you are still a child of God, that He still loves you, that He's still willing to forgive you, and, and, and that relationship can be restored. So it can help in those areas. It will also guard against us living a life of self-righteousness. When we understand how little we have to do with salvation, then I believe that it will help us to be able to say, God, you deserve all the glory, and though I still fail you, you ought to be glorified because I'm still saved. And ultimately, it will help us give God the glory that he deserves. And that is all of it. And so I hope that the right answer to this question will lead us to those things. Um, just quickly, I'll talk about the historical significance of this question, and then we'll pray and we'll get into the lesson, okay? So why is the question historically significant? Well, it dates all the way back to the time of the early church, but one of the first arguments you see in the early church between what are called the early church fathers is between Augustine and Pelagius. Okay, and Augustine, um, you've probably heard of Augustine the theologian or St. Augustine. Uh, he's one of the, the greatest theologians of all time. And certainly there are many things he taught that we don't believe. But in this area, he was very firm on preservation of the saints. 
He believes that if you were, if you were believed, if you were a believer, you were saved, then you would be preserved until the end. Pelagius, on the other hand, was a very firm believer in free will. Okay? He thought that, that mankind had the ability to become perfect. And so he, he believed that, well, because you have all of that free will, it, it's all up to you, then you can also do something to lose your salvation. And so the, this argument, it went on for, through the ages. Uh, the Catholic Church, which is the vast majority of Christendom for a thousand years was the Catholic Church, uh, they took a stance that said that believers could lose their salvation. They, they could do a, a, a mortal sin. So they, they classified sins as venial or mortal, and venial sins were like small slights against God. They, they weren't really serious things. They might have hurt your fellowship with God a little bit, but it wasn't a big deal. Whereas mortal sins were seen as sins that, that killed you spiritually. And so in order for you to be saved, you'd have to basically receive new grace. Now, for the Catholic Church, that new grace came through the Catholic Church. It was funneled through the Catholic Church, through sacraments, through penance, through confession, and all those things. But if you were guilty of a mortal sin, then you were in great danger of having lost your salvation. So this this went on for years and years, and and then finally at the time of the Reformation, the debate gets really interesting. You have men like Martin Luther and uh, John Calvin and many of the other reformers that are now believing that salvation is by grace through faith alone, apart from works, and apart from the church. They believe the church does not have the authority to give or to take away salvation, that it's only by grace through faith. And so when they they start teaching this, they start realizing that, well, if it's really all up to God, if, if really salvation is between you and God, it's by faith alone, and that it's God's grace alone that saves you and it's not the church, then if God is the one that, that's kind of in charge of this, it makes a lot of sense that we can't lose our salvation. And so they started seeing this part of it differently. And and you ended up with two groups of Protestants. You had the group of Protestants that still, they weren't sure on eternal security. And then you had another group of Protestants that they were very sure about eternal security. And so there was a man named Jacob Arminius. And he he, he believed stronger in, in the free will of man. And when he taught, he said when it came to the issue of eternal security, he never said that you could lose your salvation, but he wasn't sure. He just said we couldn't be absolutely sure whether somebody could or could not lose their salvation. And so his followers in 1610 wrote something called the Remonstrance, and there was five articles. The fifth article says this. And so the, the fifth article begins with, that, that believers have the power in Jesus Christ to be saved forever, to endure, to be preserved. All of those things are true. But they, they added this at the end. It said, But whether they are capable through negligence of forsaking again the first beginnings of their life in Christ, of again returning to this present evil world, of turning away from the holy doctrine which was delivered to them, of losing a good conscience, of becoming devoid of grace, that must... Be, be more particularly determined out of the Holy Scriptures before they can teach it with the full persuasion of their minds. Okay, so what they're saying there is Christians can be sure they're saved if they endure, but if they don't endure, whether it's possible or not for a Christian to to truly fall away from grace, we can't be sure of. Okay, so they're unsure. Well, in response to a number of things, but 
but also to this article, John Calvin's followers put together their own remonstrance type of thing. And in the fifth article, they say that preservation of the saints asserts that since God is sovereign and his will cannot be frustrated by humans or anything else, those whom God has called into communion with himself will continue in faith until the end. Those who apparently fall away either never had true faith to begin with or will return to the faith. Okay, so, so you have these two groups. And, and the reason I say all that and the reason I bring up this history is because I believe these two groups basically still exist today. You still have the group of people that say, yeah, okay, you're saved by faith, but if you don't continue in the faith, or if you don't continue in good works, if you do some certain sin or live a life of sin, then you're not really saved, then you've lost your salvation. You have another group that says, no, 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 you can't lose your salvation, it's all up to God, and so you are preserved in the end, you're eternally secure, no matter what. This is the debate that goes on from the Reformation to today in Protestant churches all over the place. Okay, I, believe, I think Pentecostal churches believe more that you can lose your salvation. Uh, the, the majority of evangelical churches believe that you cannot lose your salvation, but it's still a debate today. And so I think it's important because you are going to come across verses that you're going to say, okay, well, what does this mean? If it doesn't mean you can lose your salvation, then what does this mean? Okay, there are some difficult verses. And then, and then if you believe you can lose your salvation then you'll come across a number of verses that seem to indicate that you can't. And so you have to figure out what to do with those verses. And so what I want to do today is just take a look at this doctrine, take a look at what the Bible has to say about it. So let's pray and then we'll get into the lesson. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that, that in this lesson today that you would be glorified. Uh, Lord, we're, we're speaking about a specific doctrinal issue, but God, I know this is important. Lord, it is important that we know we're saved. It's important we understand your work in salvation and, and how complete and full it is. Lord, I pray that you would uh, increase our understanding, that you increase our knowledge in this area. Lord, that you would, um, if we have any doubts, Lord, you'd confirm your truth to us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be our teacher. Give me the words to say. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the amazing salvation we have in, in Christ alone. And we pray in his name. Amen. So we'll begin with some definitions, and then I'll, I'll lay out the positions that are out there, okay? We should define the question. The question is, can Christians lose their salvation? I want to make it very clear that we are speaking about born-again Christians. We're not speaking about people that, that claim to be Christians. We're not speaking about Christianity as a whole that includes many people that believe that that many that believe that Christ is not the only way, that they're a Christian, they believe Christ is their way, but not the only way. We're talking about born-again Christians that they believe what the Bible says, that Jesus is the way, that his blood is the only answer for sin. Okay? So we're talking about whether Christians can lose salvation. If you are truly saved, can you then become unsaved? The positions offered are, first of all, one position would say that believers are eternally secure. Okay, you cannot lose your salvation. You are eternally preserved by God. Once you're saved, you're always saved. There are many ways of saying it, but eternal security is, is one belief. The second belief is that believers are eternally insecure. Okay? Now, they, they usually don't say it like that, but that's, that's basically it, that you cannot be secure of your eternal uh, life in heaven, that 
that's, that is still something that is up for question, and it will be dependent on what happens from this point until the day you die. So you're not secure. You're insecure in your salvation. Now, what this is generally referred to is conditional security. It's conditional upon something. And there are three different ideas of what is conditional upon. First of all, that you can lose your salvation by any sinful act. Okay, this is the extreme of conditional security. If you commit a sin, you are no longer in right fellowship with God. You've lost your salvation. People live in complete fear that this is the case. Now, there's very little biblical evidence for this at all, but there are some people that they've been saved hundreds and hundreds of times because every time they sin, they think they need to go back and get saved again. Okay? The second group believe the condition is that you can lose your salvation by a pattern of sinful behavior without repentance. And so this would be an act or acts of purposeful disobedience. You know that you're sinning, you're sinning on purpose, and you're not sorry for it. You're not repenting of it. Okay, you're, you're almost proud of your sin. You're living that life of sin. And so this is an unconfessed sin that if you've done this, if you're guilty of this, you can lose your salvation. So, so it's based on your behavior and the way you remain saved. The condition is you must live a, a life that is free from purposeful sin. Okay? When you do sin, you must repent and get right and, and you're still saved. The third condition that some people believe, is that one can lose salvation not necessarily by acts of disobedience, except for one act, and that is the act of apostasy. So apostasy is that you deny the faith that you once received. You were saved by faith, and they would say, well, if you do not continue in that faith, if you don't have that same belief for the rest of your life, as soon as you lose that belief, you're no longer saved. So these are the, the, the three conditions that people put on eternal security. Uh, what I want to do today is I want to, first of all, begin by framing my position on this issue, and I'm going to frame that position in the gospel as a whole. Okay, this is what I believe about the gospel, and so therefore, this is what I believe about this doctrine. We'll go on to look at some of the verses that I believe support eternal security, and then we'll finish by talking about some of the verses that are, are troublesome. That, that if you believe in eternal security, you, you have to say, okay, well, what does this verse say? And so we'll look at some of the verses that, that might seem to support conditional security. Framing the position in a right understanding of the gospel, uh, what I want to do f- is look at three things. First of all, I want to recognize the work of salvation as complete. When I look at this and I, and I understand the gospel properly, I believe that we will recognize that salvation is complete. It is not something that is continuing to happen in a believer's life. Okay? Now, it, it, certainly we understand that we are continuing to be sanctified. That we are in this process of God changing us from one set of glory to another. That he's changing us daily. That we're co- becoming more and more like Christ. But all of that is a process of spiritual growth that happens after the point of salvation. Salvation begins it and once you're saved, it's finished. Okay? That part is done. You are saved. The work of salvation is complete. And we see this many times in the Bible because we see that believers are the children of God. They're not becoming the children of God. They are the children of God. That It's done. They are heirs of the kingdom. There's already a, a mansion prepared for them. God is not in the business of preparing mansions for people and then demolishing them when they get unsaved and maybe having to rebuild when they get saved again. I mean, 
he, he, the, the mansion is prepared. It's ready. You're saved. You're an heir already. That's, it's, that's a finished work. That we are born again. You, you think about that. You, you can't, when you're born once, that's not something you can undo. Now, you, you could potentially kill yourself, but you've, you've been born, right? Now, we talk about being born again in the Spirit. This is something the Spirit does. How foolish it would be to say that, well, um, you can be born and God is your father, but I'm just going to decide God's not going to be my father anymore. You can't do it with biological parents, can you? I mean, you can't say that, okay, well, my dad is not my dad. No, he is. Whether I like it or not now, he is. And so you're born again. That we have been forgiven. It's a finished thing. It's not that we need to be forgiven on a daily basis. Now, the thing about the Christian life is we understand that there is a difference between our standing before God and our fellowship with God. Okay? Our standing, our position is complete in Christ. We're saved eternally, and it's important we grasp this. But, at the same time, we are walking in relationship with God, and just like a relationship with any person, that fellowship can be hurt. Right? You can walk, and you can walk in sin... And, and hurt your relationship with God. It doesn't mean your position in Christ changes. It just means that your, your relationship with God is, is different than it was. It needs, it needs restoration. Okay? So your fellowship can be hurt. Your standing cannot be. The Bible says that we are justified. That is an act of God declaring you righteous. Again, God is not a judge who declares you righteous. Oh, no, I'm declaring you unrighteous. Oh, I'm declaring you righteous. It's something that is finished. In the past tense, it's done. You are justified. You are righteous. You are already a possessor of eternal life. Okay, I think sometimes we think that eternal life starts for us at the moment we die. That isn't the case for the believer. For the believer, right now, you are living in your eternal life. Your eternal life started the moment that you were quickened, the moment you got saved. And it will continue. And though your body will die, your spirit will never die. Your, your soul will never die. It, it, will go, it will be just transformed from here into heaven. And so we are living in eternal life. We already have it. We are already possessors. The Bible says that we are already saved from the wrath to come. Okay, we are citizens of heaven. We are new creatures we're members of the body of Christ. This is, this is important to understand because we understand that salvation, it's complete. It is not an ongoing process. It is not something that can be thwarted. It's not something that, that you, know, you have to, to maintain. It is something that Christ finished for us on the cross. And the moment we got saved, we were born again. Something miraculous happened. You were transformed from darkness into light. The second reason is because it recognizes the work of salvation as accomplished by Christ alone. It recognizes that it is done by Christ alone. If our works had any part in salvation, then we would have a reason to say, okay, well, if I worked my way to salvation, then I can work my way out of it. Right? But, but the Bible contrasts this idea of what work is and what faith is all the time. Those two things are not the same. They're opposite. Okay? They're opposing to one another. You, it, salvation can't not be by both faith and works because both of them cannot coincide. It's one or the other. And so if we're saved by, by faith alone, then it wouldn't make no sense at all that we're, we can do something, we can work our way out of something that God gave to us, that there was a, a gracious gift. It understands 
that salvation is completely a work of Christ and not, not our work. Finally, it recognizes the new identity of the believer. It recognizes the new identity of the believer. Salvation is not merely a decision that one makes that has little effect on who they are. This is something you, you just can't go back on. Okay? You have a brand new identity. You're out of darkness into light. You were condemned. Now you're justified. You were an enemy of God. Now you're a friend of God, a son of God, a servant of God. You were an alien. Now you're part of the family of God. Um, you had a body of death, and now you're a new creature. You were spiritually dead, and now you're quickened. Uh, you, you had the natural man. Now you are the spiritual man. You, you've, you've been a goat, and now you're a sheep. Okay? You were a weed. Now you're a wheat. You get it? Like, there, there's a transformation that happened. You have a new identity. And so when we say that we can just fall in and out of this new identity, we don't, we don't give the gospel the power and the authority that it ought to have. The gospel didn't just, it's not just based on some little decision you made and that, that's it and there's no effect. This is a, a transformation that happened in you and to you at the time you got saved. It, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful truth but we give that up. We give up that identity when we just act like it's something that can be got and then lost constantly. We have a brand new identity, and this process cannot be undone by our works because it is done by the grace of God. So now let's look at some verses that support eternal security. I've said this just to lay the foundation. I think understanding the gospel and how that affects our view of the gospel affects this issue is important, but let's look at some specific verses that speak to this issue. Um, first of all, I, I want to make something clear. I am not a, a fan of proof texting. Okay? If, you, if you don't know what proof texting is, it's just simply you have a belief and then you pull out like two or three scriptures all over the place out of context and you use them to support as proof for what you're trying to assert to be true. That isn't a good way to do it. And, and so what I'm trying to do here, I'm trying to point you at a couple passages. I would love it if you would take the time to study the context and, and the, the literary genre and all those things behind these verses so you can see that the verses really mean what I'm trying to say that they mean. Okay? And I think, I think they're very clear, but I, I want to make sure that you understand that. I'm not just trying to say, here's a verse, here's a verse, here's a verse, take my word for it. I want you to study it. Okay? And so proof texting is not usually a good thing, but we're going to look at a few verses here as proof. <laughs> I can't get around it, um, but I want you to study it so you know that, that they actually make sense, okay? So John chapter 10, starting at verse 28. John 10, 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, okay, there's the gift of God, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I, I mean, I don't know that it can get more clear than that. The context there is he's talking about being a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. The idea is, I mean, it'd be silly to think that Jesus is given a hundred sheep and he comes back with 80 of them because 20 of them just didn't feel like following him today. Right? I mean, he's a good shepherd. He's taking care of his sheep. Okay, it's not the sheep's job to make sure that they stay where they're supposed to stay. It's the shepherd's job. And the shepherd does his job right, and no man can take them out of the Father's hand. It's, it's very clear. Okay, John chapter 17, verses 11 and 12. 
John 17, 11 to 12. We have to go through these fairly quickly because there's a lot and there's a lot more to get to. And this is Jesus praying. He's praying to the Father. He says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those who thou hast given me, and they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me, I kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And there he's just talking about how... So, while he was in the world, he kept them. Now he's praying to God that God would keep those that are in his name. Okay? And it's, it would be silly again to think that, well, you know, God doesn't often answer Jesus' prayers. No. I mean, when Jesus prays for something, he is God. He's praying with the will of God. His prayers are answered. And so we will be kept. And isn't it encouraging to think that Jesus prayed that for you? You'd be kept? Not only that, Jesus is continually at the Father praying for you. He is our intercessor. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Actually, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. I've got to turn there, but all of those verses are great because it makes it very clear it's talking about salvation. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now already isn't the language pointing to something that cannot be erased, right? It's incorruptible, it's not going to fade away, it is already eternal life. Uh, He goes on, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's very clear. Yes, we have faith, but we are kept by the power of God. Now, why can you be sure that a true believer will never completely abandon the faith forever? Okay, why can you be sure? Well, because you're kept by the power of God. Jude chapter 1, sorry, Jude verse 1 and verse 24 Very similar verses. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Okay? We're preserved in Jesus Christ. Verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Very clearly, he is keeping us. He's preserving us. This this is an act of God among true believers. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. This is speaking about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is to us and what he's doing in our lives. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And this verse is seen many times throughout Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, Ephesians 4.30, we see the idea of us being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, the idea here is that there's this new covenant, this promise that is made that Jesus will save all those who have faith. That, That promise has been made and now it's been sealed unto the day of redemption. I believe that Paul here is referring to something that the Ephesians would have understood, and that's the Roman seal. 
And what a Roman seal was, if you were making a note or, or something that was only supposed to be seen by one person, it was just for them, you could put a Roman seal on it, and that seal could not be broken. And if it was broken, the punishment was death. And, and some people say, well, it could be broken. Well, I mean, think about the picture that, that Paul is trying to paint here. He, I mean, whether somebody could or could not break the seal really and read it and then, and then have to die because they read it, that's not the picture. The picture is that he is the seal, and it, it very clearly says, unto the day of redemption, right? And so the idea is, if you have the Spirit in you, you're guaranteed to be, to be his until that day of redemption, until that final day when you meet Christ. You're sealed. It's, it's a done deal. And then he says that, that he is the earnest of our inheritance. Well, the, the idea of earnest there was a business term, and it was used as a down payment, and, and the Roman law was, if you put a down payment on something, it was now illegal for you not to buy it. And so when he says that it's the earnest or the down payment of your inheritance, he's saying, I mean, God's not going around breaking laws. Well, and then if I decide, you know, I, I might end up buying it because I put a down payment on it. It's not. It's, it's a guarantee. Okay, there, it's very clear language saying you have the Holy Spirit, you're his. It's, it's done. Let's move on. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, Much more than that, now having been justified, his, by, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And that is just a statement. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. We have been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay? He began it, he will complete it. That's a promise. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Okay? Paul was convinced that God would, was able to keep him. 6 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Do you realize that your salvation is now not resting on whether you are faithful or not? It's resting on the faithfulness of God. Okay? He can't deny himself. And he won't deny himself. And so even when we're not faithful, he is faithful. Romans chapter 8. These are some of the greatest verses. Um, we'll start in verse 28, and then we'll skip down to 37. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Okay? And just realize that, that in that, if you were to try and say that salvation was something that could be lost, you would have to say that, that losing your salvation was good. Because if you were the called and you love God according to his purpose, so at some point you were saved, then that means that the good is now you being unsaved. I mean, that's, that's a big stretch, I think, to make. And then he goes on to make this really clear what he's talking about. He says, For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, to them he also called. To those he called, he justified. And to whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a process that is not going to be hindered. It is five things in a row that, that cannot be changed. And so we can be very secure in those things. 
Romans 8 and then verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him which loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, if you are in Christ, you're there to stay. That's his point. So, in conclusion here, and there's one more verse I was going to look at, I think some people also often wonder, well, how come... I mean, it's, a, it's really a pragmatic argument. Okay? From my experience, it seems like people can go to church for a while, claim to be saved, and then leave church and never have anything to do with God again. So how does that work with what Scripture is, seems to be clearly saying here? Well, the answer to that is in 1 John 2.19. It says, They went out from among us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And so making it clear that, yes, those people that that make a profession of faith and stick around for a short time and then leave and never have anything to do with Christ again, those people that that say a prayer, but then it seems like they, they just never grow, well, what's the deal with those people? The deal is they just were never of us. They were never saved. They never have the Holy Spirit inside of us. They didn't have that seal. And so that's how we understand that. It's not, it's not a huge mystery. It might be sad to us, but it's the truth. So we are kept by the power of God. We are held in God's hand. He guards and sustains us. The Spirit indwells and seals us. Christ has finished the work of salvation, and he prays for us and continues to pray for us. As we look at Scripture, it seems very clear that believers are eternally secure. So what do we do about verses that indicate the opposite? We will probably have time to look at one of these verses, one of these passages. What should I just take next week? You want to take them next week? Yeah, because Hebrews 6 is going to do that in three minutes. I'm not going to do that in three minutes. Okay, you're right. Okay, well, then, then let's, let's put this off to next week because I think those are important and we'll actually be able to spend more time looking at those. Listen, I, I was talking to Tara about this and, and I was trying to figure out, Tara, what's the best m- way for me to go at this? Because this is a, a talk, you could talk about eternal security for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and longer, okay? And so how do I sum up this in one lesson, which I don't ever seem to be able to do? Um, and, and her thing was, listen... I know that there are some verses that point to to eternal security, and I I know that and I believe that, but there are many times when I'm reading Scripture, I come across a verse and I say, I don't get that. I I don't understand how I'm supposed to read that verse and still believe that I'm eternally secure. Now, I know there's other verses that point to that, but I just don't understand how those things work together. So I, I do think that probably looking at these verses that indicate otherwise, and just going through a couple of them and seeing how those verses could be rightly interpreted other ways, might be helpful for us. And so, good idea. We'll, we'll put it off till next week. Does anybody have any, then if we have a minute, do you have a question or a comment? Anything you want to say? Yeah, I think it's important, you may mention this, um, about being um, either eternally secure or, or insecure. But I think you have to realize, too, sometimes for us, we have to be careful that we don't just tell people when they pray a prayer that you're eternally secure either. Yep. Then you have folks who there is never any proof in their life, and yet we said to them, 
you're eternally secure. I like what you said. We're talking about real, true believers yeah. that are, are involved by the Holy Spirit of God. Because there are people that there's no growth, there's no fruit, there's no spiritual life. Yeah. Yet they pray the prayer, but they were never saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think probably we've, we've all been guilty of that type of thing before. And that's something that I, I think it's important to realize that we deal with believers. And, and, and when somebody trusts Christ as their Savior, we do want them to understand that if that is a real decision, then they are secure. But at the same time, we don't want to give them the impression that because they said one quick prayer, if nothing else changes in life, if nothing happens in life, that there's no fruit from that faith, that they're really actually saved. Because the Bible does not give anybody any reason to believe that they're saved unless there's fruit. Because okay? a faith that works is a faith that works, right? And so it is important that we say, listen, if you're a child of God now, if that was a real decision that you made, if you really trusted Christ today, praise the Lord, you are his child forever. But listen, if you're a believer in Christ, these are some of the things that should be happening in your life. These are some things you need to be doing. You need to be finding a good church that you can go to. You need to be learning the word of God. You need to be filling your your life with who Christ is, and and it should be changing, and you should see fruit. And listen, if none of these things ever happen, then that meant that this prayer you made, it didn't didn't mean anything. Okay? We all know people who who fall and stumble. We know Christians who fall and stumble. Listen, when a Christian falls and stumbles, it doesn't mean that they're not saved. The Bible talks about that. In, In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about children of God who stumble and fall, and it talks about how God as a loving Father chastises them. So very clearly, that can happen. So when we're talking about this, when we're talking about people moving away and never having any fruit, it's, it's one of those things that it happens once, it happens eternally. Like, they're never coming back. There's never the working of the Spirit in their life. And so if you're a believer and you fall, the Holy Spirit's going to be on you. You are not going to be able to live a, a joyful life outside of what your Father has planned for you. I think that's important. I, I encourage you to go and study this. We're halfway through the lesson. Why not take that half and study what we've already talked about? So you're very familiar with those verses in that, in that context. And I think there's some others on the sheet that we didn't get to. And I just r- will leave you with this quote from Spurgeon. He said, Nothing binds me to my Lord like a strong belief in His changeless love. And I believe that understanding our standing before God that it's eternally secure is one of the greatest motivators for our, our actions, our love toward him. There is nothing that, that brings us closer than, than knowing that anything that I do cannot change his love for me. All right? So thank you.